0: So Harriet, thank you so much for joining me today uh, for, I suppose, the discussion on, on your expertise. I think you've, what's also quite interesting is that you've come into nutrition from, I suppose, like a, a bit of an unorthodox route. You've become a medical doctor first and then you've trained as a nutritionist after, which I think is really interesting. Can you, um, would you able to tell everyone listening, everyone watching a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, So, hi, I'm Dr. At Home. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's um, a real pleasure. Um, So, yes, you're absolutely right. I did come into nutrition um, through a sort of uh, more torturous route than many. So, uh, I studied medicine at the University of Cambridge and then um, finished that off at UCL in London, University College London and then um, 15 years ago almost to the day I started as a doctor on, uh, on the wards and um, I was a paediatric doctor ultimately specialising in paediatric oncology, uh, did lots of research based laboratory stuff as well on my way through and um, did a PhD in cancer genetics and, and then after that realised that actually um, I didn't really uh, want to get back to medicine. I wanted to um, to focus more on uh, nutrition, um, which I'd seen a lot of through my um, through pediatric Oncology and also doing my PhD on genetics. I was really interested in the microbiota, so all your, your gut and bacteria in that, and that sort of um, focused my interest on in nutrition. So then I became a registered nutritionist with the Association for uh, Nutrition. And I lecture in culinary science and nutrition and I was commissioned to write the sort of first of its kind um, degree on culinary science um, so culinary nutrition and health. So that's to sort of educate you, mainly the chefs of tomorrow about why nutrition is so important, not just that food tastes great, but it's, you know, it's good for you as well. And
0: one one thing that I find quite interesting, obviously you must go into, I I would assume that you went into medicine because you wanted to help people um would you say and i'll try and make this clear as possible would you say that you feel that nutrition and nutrition provides more of an avenue of helping people than allopathic medicine or just as much or it does be in a different way how would you diversify it or how would you would you split them
1: um so i think i did absolutely go into medicine partly um to help people and um, Um, or mainly tell people, but actually because I found it really interesting and I loved the sort of problem-solving side of it. Um, So for me, nutrition has a lot of that, but um, uh, in a sort of easier-to-digest way, I guess, that um, less people at the end of the day are generally not dying. um, You know, you can actually affect change really quite easily. So some of the things I was seeing in medicine, Um, So in paediatric oncology, uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, all of those things are incredibly important and um, nutrition can help along the sidelines. But, you know, chemotherapy and things really take them to stage. So medicine is really, really important. um, But nutrition really does have its role. And I think people are are just beginning to realise, you know, if you've got... um, blood results that sort of show that you're pre-diabetic, you can really affect change. You can you know, really change your diet and reverse that and stop developing your know, diabetes. So I think, um, it's in its infancy, people are really only just realizing how important it is um, and how, how it is as important in some cases as conventional medicine. But, um, but I think, it all really needs to work together. There's no point in having one without the other, and um, certainly not an advocate for people just, you know, treating cancer with diet or or supplements and those type of things. I think it really, to work well, you need all aspects of it. You need the medical team, nutrition, you need all all of it to work really well and together.
0: Do you think that good nutrition or good lifestyle could be used to delay the interaction with, you know, I suppose, a medical doctor or or, um, more medical procedures?
1: Yes absolutely so certainly there 's um you know really good clear evidence that your diet affects your long term risk of disease on so many levels you know cancer, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, bone health um, and and it 's really important so and one thing is it 's so much more in your control than you know medical interactions and taking medicines and um, and I think always prevention is is key and so much better than, than taking medicines that aren't without their, you know, side effects. So if you can affect change with your own diet um, and prevent the long term health issues, I think that's got to be a really powerful, really great thing. And so many problems in health are, you know, because of your, because of your diet, really. So, um and that's one thing I love about nutrition—that you can help so many people by just doing some really simple changes, um, that have really no side effects other than you know you've got to have a bit more preparation, a bit more time, a bit more thought.
0: And based on that, because you know, going going by by that analogy, means that essentially everyone's got their own medicine cabinet every time they go to the green section of their supermarket or something, or even their green if they're lucky to have one in their town. So yeah, if absolutely. That's the case, what do you think are the greatest barriers to someone becoming, I suppose, more attuned with nutrition? What can help them?
1: I think for a lot of people, it's um, fear of failure. They think that in order to be healthy, they have to eat healthily 100% of the time. And um, I, I think that just small change, just being a little bit healthier some of the time, you know, it all adds up. And if you can just do lots of small changes, you know, end up, the sum of them is not it? A much greater change and that if you you know if you have I don't know eaten a packet of biscuits that doesn't mean the day is gone um it means you still have lots of other healthy choices throughout the rest of the day and we're, we're all human um and I like a piece of cake as much as the next person but that doesn't mean I eat cake every day all day every day so I think it's, it's fear of failure fear of um worry how much it's going to cost more or that they're busy you know time pressures if you've got you know a busy job or kids busy job and kids um it's you know it can be harder there's um but i think you know with some shortcuts some realizing that it doesn't have to be perfect you know you can really make some benefits
0: and coming more now into into your niche which is women's health how would you assess or how would you what are your thoughts on the medical approach to women's health
1: um so I think I think that's quite difficult. Um, so talking about more what we sort of said, I think um, the medical approach is definitely you know has, has been historically um, you know you go and see an old male doctor and he tells you what to to have. And I think more and more that's changing. It's a lot more of you know a partnership with the patient and um, and obviously there are loads of female doctors now and and along that that route that that change I think now we're having you know some preventative medicine there as well you know we're, we're empowering women to to you know uh to take up the screening programs to check their own breasts to talk about you know lots of taboos out there um, that are you know slowly not becoming you know, slowly being less of a taboo to talk about it and I think where problems before were made medicalized there's a lot more um a lot more preventative medicine but all that takes time and you think if you go and see a gp they've got 10 minutes to see you and that includes you know talking examining writing their notes it's really difficult for them to sort of then um talk about diet um, So it's partly time pressure i think and also um, medical students have very little training or exposure to nutrition during their um, undergraduate uh, training and a recent review in the Lancet, a huge medical journal found that nutrition is insufficiently incorporated and I think that lots of medical students and GPs would really welcome um, more information on nutrition so that they can be more part of that multi-professional team um, because at the moment they don't have the knowledge to do that. So I think it's, it's training them up, you know, giving um, doctors more, uh, you know, empowering them to, with more knowledge so they can help and, and also training the medical students. So I consult for um, culinary medicine, which is a not-for-profit organization that is teaching the, the, uh, medical students and the GP um, about nutrition so that you know they can help and then they uh, need more you need longer appointments so uh, less pressure on the healthcare system you know so that if you've seen an AE it's not just or you know in the GP that they have time to talk to you about it and try to you know help prevent some of these things.
0: So because in, in the UK are um, I suppose the the key individual the key practitioners when we think of healthcare are doctors do you think that that could create, if doctors were more empowered and more knowledgeable on nutritional intervention, do you feel that could create the cultural shift that we need in the UK? Because I mean, our, our lifestyle in the UK is, is, I would argue, borderline Americanized. We tend to work mm. quite long hours. We um, prioritize time or the saving time when it comes to getting our junk food and things like that. We tend to do big weekly shops rather than shop frequently throughout the week which is quite different to even, you know, our French neighbours. So I was just wondering on what you thought when it came to um, the ability for doctors to hopefully be able to create this cultural shift in the UK that might be needed.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I think GPs are paramount for that, to be honest, that, you know, GPs are generally fairly trusted. Um, And I think that if you went to GP and you had high blood pressure or, you know, your, your borderline um, type two diabetic, if they gave you, or if they say, if you know, if maybe a nutritionist is there, a dietitian and you had more community access to them and they could refer to their first or give, you know, a list of these are things you're going to need to, to help, you know, your blood pressure or don't, you know, eat, eat this, not that. Then I think um, it could be really powerful. But as you say, we are Western Westerner um, very Americanized with lots of fast food, you know eating more junk food, arising obesity issues. And we do eat differently from, you know, the Mediterranean, classic Mediterranean diet. So, um, and I think that's you know, even more apparent with COVID now, isn't it? That um, you just have to see the sort of lines of people all going out, for that, you know, queues for, for McDonald's as soon as lockdown was lifted, that um, that was, you know, obviously the thing that everyone was getting out for. Um, it's about trying to change mindset, which I think is hard.
0: Hmm. I mean, I'm trying. I'm, I keep having to bring it back to your niche. I apologise. <laughs> I am pursuing points of interest to to me at the same time as points of interest when it comes to women's health and, and, and your niche. But when it comes to um, women aging um, as they do age, how would you propose that women better protect their bone health as they age?
1: Um. So, um, estrogen is a really important hormone for bone health, and as age um your oestrogen levels decline so um, when when you're about 50 you have only about two percent chance of having osteoporosis so softened bones and, and, and risk of fracture whereas um a lady in her 80s would have about 25 percent risk just because of that oestrogen declining with the menopause so um you know bone health is really important and there are things you can do in your diet that help to um to improve your bone health. So eating good quality protein, so lean protein every meal, so that's like dairy, meat, poultry, seafood, um, legumes, beans and calcium. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard of calcium for your bones so it's really important for your um, bone health and as an adult you need between 700 and 1000 milligrams a day and if you think of that it sort of equates to roughly um, two slices of wholemeal bread, or a portion of broccoli and and some couple of glass of milk or um, plant-based fortified milk and um, a yogurt and some fish. So you would have to have all of that in one day just to get your calcium. Um, Lots of good ways of getting calcium so just like spinach, fortified bread, baked beans, tofu, dried um, fruit and then fish that's tinned because you eat the bones like anchovies, tinned salmon, those things because the the bone contain all the calcium. So if you can incorporate those into your diet, then um, it's much better to get your calcium from your diet than it is to take a supplement. But if you're unable to do that, then you might be prescribed a supplement. Um, And then along with calcium, vitamin D is really important bone health as well. Um, And that is produced in our bodies by the action of sunlight on the skin. So you do need to go outside and get your sun exposure for about 20 minutes a day. Um, it used to be thought that um, sunscreen prevented your body from making vitamin D, but that's no longer case. So no excuse to get, you know, to, to not put your sun cream on. Um, and so you need about um, 10 micrograms of 400 international units a day, and it can be really hard to get that in the UK, especially in the autumn and winter. So um, the current guidance is to supplement during the autumn and winter. Um, and I really like the sprays you can, that you can get. Um, And then vitamin K is another really important micronutrient um, that's important in bone health. And there are lots of, vitamin K covers lots of different um, molecules um, that are all part of vitamin K and they're found in in a range of foods. So green veg, fermented food, dairy, meat. um, And you need to make sure that you're eating not just one of those, but a range of those to make up all of the different elements of vitamin K. And there is mixed evidence as to whether actual supplementation with vitamin K improves bone strength and reduces fractures. But the evidence is strong enough for a number of countries to actually recommend it. So Japan, one of those, they say all menopausal women um, should be on vitamin K supplements. But at the moment, that's not the case in the UK. And, um, and as it's a fat soluble vitamin and it's stored, um, it, we don't know what the possible side effects are if you have too much supplementation Um, and it's also really important that if you're on anything like blood medication that you shouldn't take vitamin K because it interferes with that. So it's probably better at the moment while the evidence is still mixed um, to be having it in your diet and just making sure that you've you've got you're eating all of those things I know that fermented foods are really quite trendy now um, but still not that many people eat it um, so just making sure that you you're covering all of those bases um, and then um, there are a couple of others. So phosphorus and magnesium are, are usually really found really abundantly in our diet. Um, we shouldn't have to supplement those at all, but um, just as good examples. So phosphorus is in things like poultry, meat, dairy, um, whole grains, and then magnesium in things like pumpkin seeds, almond, beans, whole grains. Um, and then the last thing I'd say for bone health, it isn't diet, but it's lifestyle is um, resistance exercise. Which I'm sure, sure you probably know far more about than me, but um, the NHS advised that adults over 35 should be having um, 30 minutes of resistance training a week. Uh, sorry, at least twice a week. So if you can um, be doing you know, squat weights, resistance bands, all of those things, um, then it's really important for your bone health.
0: We we commonly have what we what we commonly experience is a bit of a vicious cycle. So because people come into us with osteoporosis and mm-hmm. they have this fear of fracture, um, they're yes. less likely to do things which might expose them to the risk of fracture. There might be things that test their balance, test their strength, but then that's the thing that's going to stop them from falling and fracturing yeah. themselves in the first place. So, so yeah, it's but I mean I think as long as most people. When they do realise that, they're then quite motivated to put themselves in an environment where they're, I suppose, stressing their skeletal structure, the musculoskeletal Mm -hmm. structure, um, in a safe way for the reward, which would be stronger bones. But you you also mentioned, I think we discussed this before, about phytoestrogens. You mentioned that phytoestrogens have a role as well.
1: Yeah, so um, phytoestrogens um, are less really for long-term health but more for the short-term side effects so lots of people are troubled by um, hot flushes as part of menopause and um, there's sort of mixed evidence that um, phytoestrogens might be able to help with that. So um, phytoestrogens are like a plant-derived compound that have got a similar structure to human estrogens um, which is obviously the hormone that decreases in the menopause but the phytoestrogens have got a weaker, a similar, but much weaker activity. Um, And there are some herbal medicines like St. John's wort, black cohosh, um, Genstone, um, and red clover that are all phytoestrogens. And there's some mixed evidence that these are are decreased with um, hot hot flushes. Um, So I think it's really try it and see whether it helps you. the one thing I should mention is that while we think that soya, which is a phytoestrogen, is probably safe in women with breast cancer, there's much less known about the others, especially red colour. And so if you've got breast cancer, don't take those. Um, and also there's still concern that they might have interactions with um, heart disease, epilepsy and asthma. So I definitely advise speaking to a GP before starting any herbal medicine and that, that there's no... Um, there's no regulation with herbal medicine, so always buy from, you know, like a trusted um, a trusted supplier because there's no, um, there's much less regulation. So check that you, you know what it is before you take it. Um, and then I should just say that there are lots of foods that also contain phytoestrogen um, and then naturally occur in things like soya, flaxseed, chickpeas, sesame, um, tea, apricots and um, they're obviously a much uh, weaker version of these supplements where it's all concentrated together. So given that the supplements, um, there's lots of mixed evidence about the supplements, um, it's unlikely that eating just the food is going to have much benefit because they're obviously much weaker than the supplements. So I think you know, include them in your diet because generally, um, you generally know, have other benefits as well. Um, and if they help with your hot flashes, that's great. Um, but they're not going to help everybody and they, they might not help you.
0: Yeah, our we have a herbist here, Julia, and she's very good at um, the, the herbs that you recommended or that you suggested. she uh, I know from just discussing with her I that she prescribes them quite regularly for post women, right. but she's equally as frustrated. Um, because as you said, that a lot there's a lot of people claiming to be herbalists and a lot of people claim to have knowledge of herbology, um, but yeah. aren't very, uh, very stringently trained as, as, yeah. as she might be. But, um, and this is just me now trying to remember what I learned at un at university. So, when we're talking about phytoestrogens and them having a similar effect to estrogen but a weaker effect, um, do mm-hmm. they do so they trigger the same receptor site as oestrogen? Because I know mm. that there are there is also contrasting debate that they act as inhibitors for the receptor site. So is it competitive inhibition? Is that what it's called? Where you have something yeah. similar that, that clogs up the receptor site but doesn't trigger the same yeah. response?
1: No, they are thought to trigger the same response but just in a much weaker way. As okay. about. I, think, I think there's a lot of debate about this, but at the moment that's sort of the main thing that they, they are thought to um, they're not a competitive inhibitor. They are. Um, they're stimulating those same receptors, but just in a much weaker way. Mm, understand. Thank you.
0: And um, I wanted to know also about the common presentations that you might see, and all uh, like interesting cases that you've had, and how you've helped individuals with their with their women's health.
1: Um, I think we've talked about a lot, a lot of that already. In that, I think most people come because they're feeling not heard by their Mm. their GP or, or they um, they want help with hot flushes or they can't take HRT um, or they, um, they don't want to take HRT. And so it's then about um, thinking about, you know, what can you do for hot flushes? So you've got your phytoestrogens, but you've also um, acupuncture. There's weak evidence that acupuncture might help with that. I obviously don't do that, but it's sort of lifestyle, thinking of lifestyle medicine. Um, and then caffeine and alcohol. Um, if you reduce caffeine and alcohol and spicy food, um, there's mixed evidence that uh, that that helps. There's quite a lot of variation between individuals, um, but right. certainly reducing alcohol has got other I'm health benefits. Wondering. Like no, on two of those. spicy
0: <laughs> spicy food and caffeine. <laughs> i on two of those. I've got a lot of women. Sorry. This, don't, is, don't. this is how you're not available. <laughs>
1: but yeah yeah. um, uh, if you can um you know consider reducing those then it can help with in some women with um hot flushes you've got reducing the caffeine alcohol spicy food acupuncture and then those um phytoestrogen um supplements and then phytoestrogen you know naturally occurring phytoestrogen foods, so foods with naturally to phytoestrogens. and then I think um, there's a lot more awareness now that once you go through the menopause and your um, estrogen levels decline, that um, you're at higher risk of cardiovascular disease, and people do want to, to you know, to mitigate that really. So um, with the sort of natural aging process and menopause, um, you, the increase there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease which is a general term for um, for like disease of the blood vessels, narrowing of the arteries, and increased risk of blood clots, um, and and that um, the whole aging process of the menopause and the decrease in um, estrogen and and that process afterwards um, increases your risk of weight gain, which also um, leads to an increased risk of obesity, type two diabetes, high blood pressure, higher cholesterol levels, and that all then feeds back into an increased risk of cardiovascular disease as well. Um, So there are things you can do to try to to, help reduce those risks. So um, if you reduce your fat content to less than 30% of your diet, so approximately 60 grams a day, um, and, concentrate on having good quality fats. So extra virgin olive oil, avocados, seeds, nuts, rapeseed oil, all those um, polyunsaturated fats. Um, and then eat at least five portions of fruit and veg a day. Try to replace refined carbohydrates with whole grains. So you're thinking of brown rice, brown bread, um, bulgur wheat, millet. And then if you can have fish a couple of nights a week um, and have it, you know, regularly and you're using your tinned salmon or, Or or fresh fish, then you're going to be getting the omega 3 and also that calcium from the the tinned fish. Have at least four portions of um, nuts, seeds, legumes each week. Um, And then try to cut down um, convenience foods that are processed with sugar and salt. And try to keep your alcohol levels less than 14 units per week and a maximum of two to three um, glass units a day. And then choose whole grains. So, um, you know, millet, bulgur wheat and you know, all of those different um, whole grains instead of refined carbohydrates. Um, and that, that will help not only your bones, but your heart and, and also, you know, reduce your risk of, of hot flushes in some people.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. So summarise, we've got a like, good lifestyle, keeps the doctor away, but when it gets too yep. many, go to the doctors. Yes. Make sure you make sure you're consuming a whole food plant based diet, and you can supplement that with your, your fish and your and your meat and your dairy, but especially oily fish, uh, and even yeah. better if it's got the bones in for your calcium. Then we've got our phytoestrogens, which will come from herbal remedies and also from from plant based food anyway. And there's good evidence to suggest that phytoestrogens can help to battle the the decline in estrogen as as women age. It's
1: a mixed well, evidence. There's
0: mixed evidence, sorry, mixed yeah. evidence. Mixed evidence. Awesome, good stuff. And obviously to focus on uh, an exercise regime which tries to promote strengthening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Get that strengthened through your exercise and that will help you keep the weight off and, um, and also strengthen your bones. So it's, and, and help with mental health. So I think um, combination of those lifestyle changes will really have really you tip-top form
0: amazing thank you so much for your time dr harry at home can you um tell us how to get in contact with you if we want to take advantage of your services and i know that you said that you've also got a free ebook or free course something like that
1: So i've got um like a free nutrient planner um nutrient checklist where you can and just check off that you're doing all those things it's like a sort of aid memoir just to remind you of 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 like a summary of those points really um just to help guide you as to as to how to do that so if you um find me on instagram i'm at healthy eating dr doctor um and that's the same for my website as well that's www.healthyeatingdoctor.com and um you'll be able to find there's a pop-up window if you or, or on the tab that says free resources and um all the, and you'll be able to sort of download the the menopause um nutrient checklist and if you want to do it by instagram just go to the my bio and there's a link in my bio just tap on there and you'll k- take you straight there so it's probably much easier in instagram but um yeah and i've um i've got uh, I do have a book out, but it's on it's in on what to eat in pregnancy that's also available on my website and uh, yeah, so come and say hello on my website or Instagram and uh, if you've got any questions, come and ask me. Um, I also do um, private video consultation and uh, and yeah lots of information all on my Instagram all about trying to sort of myth bust and provide evidence based science backed nutrition. Amazing, Thank you so much for your time. Thank absolute pleasure.